tried raising canes a couple of weeks ago for the first time. It wasn't bad. I enjoyed it. There was something kind of weird, though. When I went there, there was this lady who had a straight-up lizard, her pet lizard, on her shoulder inside of the restaurant. And to me, that's just not okay. It's disrespectful, I think, to everybody. I think it's disrespectful when people bring their dogs in a restaurant. Sorry. Look, I know. I know. I know everybody loves dogs. I like dogs, too. But a lizard is just a little bit too far. That's enough about Raising Canes, though. This is not a free ad for Raising Canes. Uh, if they want to sponsor me, they can They can certainly give me a call. But my friend Kirk Morrow Jr. just released his debut single. You might know Kirk from when he played in The Reveal. He was the drummer. But he's also a fantastic songwriter and a fantastic singer. And he had asked me if I would be interested in producing and playing bass for him. So we did this pre-COVID. It's been locked away in the vault all this time. And then he hit me up and he was like, yo, I'm ready to release this. And I said, great. We got to record over at Columbia Studio B, which is where Bob Dylan recorded Nashville Skyline and Neil Young I think he did overdubs maybe for Harvest over there. Bob Dylan, I think, maybe did a couple of other songs there as well. Johnny Cash is recorded there. The song Blue Velvet was recorded there. I mean, you you just go down the list. There's there's all sorts of stuff that's been done there. It was a great honor for Kirk to have asked me. I greatly appreciate it. Of course, the first person I ever got to really produce, he's from Kokomo. And I'll just leave it at that. Here is Right Way by Kirk Morrow Jr. Well, I don't know which way to go When I'm walking down this bumpy road Is it left or is it right? Well, I'm gonna make it home tonight and I hope I go the right way And I'm driving down I-65 Listen to music on 
What is your favorite holiday? Halloween. Halloween? Yeah. What was your best Halloween costume? Oh, gosh. I went as um as Slash for three years in a row one time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Halloween is my favorite holiday, too. I think uh, me, me and my sister, we, we always, my older sister, um, always loved Halloween. When, when we were kids, we used to get these catalogs in the mail that had all sorts of like Halloween goodies in it, but it would be <laughs> a couple of months before Halloween starting in August. And it would have like all these different um, bulk party supplies that you could mm -hmm. buy. And then we'd also always go to Michael's. And because um, they put their Halloween stuff yeah. out a little bit early. They put everything out early. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> yeah. Target. That's the other thing we do is every every year um, we call each other and, and tell each other if our Target has Halloween stuff yet. <laughs> Grace Bowers on the Poptimist. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. We're looking like right here, right next to us. I don't know. If, I think it's probably getting picked up on the camp. What's uh, What kind of guitar is this? What year is it? This is a 61 SG Special. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, how did it come into your life? Um, the CEO of Brandy Melville messaged me on Instagram one day and was like, hey, I want to fly down to New York to do some sessions with us. And um, Brandy Melville is a clothing company. So I was like... That's kind of weird, but it was a free trip to New York. And um, I went down there, and they had a whole studio underneath their main store. And they brought in all these session players to... We record, like, two covers, I think. And at the end of it, he had, like, this huge guitar collection. And he didn't play guitar very much, so he gave that to me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful guitar. Yeah, Gibsons are, are pretty... Um, pretty rad i uh i'm a bass player i'm partial to fender but uh but gibson i think um you know they're they're kind of like the cadillac of guitars yeah definitely so you just recently did zeppelin night at the basement with mm -hmm. danny and eat sleep rock what was that experience like um it was cool except um the basement not wanting to let me in yeah. but um it was a really good show. It sounded authentic, and uh, it was sold out, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. sold out. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, on a on a Tuesday night, right? Uh, yeah, a, a Monday or Tuesday. I yeah. can't remember honestly. On a cold, years yeah. gone by, <laughs> rainy uh, Tuesday. Yeah, I, I was there that night. You guys did a whole lot of love. Yeah, last yeah. song. Yeah, it was it was cool. You did a great job. <laughs> yeah, uh, Scotty and all those musicians are are fantastic players and um, have really seen them grow over the mm -hmm. years. I hadn't seen them play in a while, but they play down on Broadway a lot. So they're, they're Broadway hot. But yeah, for sure. Where it's like the, the people who are playing down there, they're playing like, you know, five nights a week, six nights a week. It's just another level of, mm -hmm. uh, of shreddage at a certain <laughs> point. It's rough down there. When did you first start playing guitar? Um, I first started playing guitar when I was about, I think I had just turned nine, somewhere around there. So that would be seven years now. <laughs> what inspired you to pick the guitar up? Um, the first genre I fell in love with was actually hair metal, which is super duper random because I play like blues rock now. 
I still I still love hair metal, but um, Slash was who made me want to play guitar. Guns N' Roses was like my first love, and um, I didn't grow up in a musical family or a. I grew up in a little town in California and wasn't really exposed to music, so Guns N' Roses, Winger, Rat was like all I knew at the time. So um, that's what got me really into it at first. And then I eventually found blues and blues inspired rock. How did you discover the the hair metal? Was there anybody like does your family listen to a lot of music or not no, I think I just somehow stumbled across a YouTube video someday. And um just thought it looked cool. <laughs> you just thought they were they were rock stars. Pretty much. Where did you make the the leap over to blues rock? What kind of hooked you that got you into that? Um, well, it was during COVID. I'd been playing for like five years, and I was going to um, I was doing School of Rock, not not the musical, the like the the strip mall yeah version of it. Um, and the teacher I had there was like just making it wasn't making me, but I would come in and we'd play all these songs I like just note for note and I never learned like I never learned the pentatonic scale until like three years ago because no one showed it to me so eventually I switched teachers to this guy in um in Oakland his name's Billy and he was all about making your own music and teaching us like the theory behind the guitar music theory and that was the first time I was like wow there's so much more I can do with this than like hair metal (laughs) so then um Obviously, once you learn the pentatonic scale, that goes hand in hand with blues. So then I started listening to people like B.B. King. Um, oh, gosh, who else? Muddy Waters, Mississippi, John Hurt. All those old Delta blues guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I mean, it's so crazy when you look at uh, musical American history because... It's like the Americans invented blues and then the Brits invented what blues rock and per- yeah. perfected it. You yeah, know? exactly. Uh, when you look at a player like Eric Clapton, for instance, which I, I never really listened to a lot of Clapton growing up, but mm-hmm. I did a little bit of a deeper dive and he has this this live album. It's like live at the uh, or something rainbow. I, I can't remember what the exact title of the album is, but his backing band for that album is incredible because it's like Pete Townsend is playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones is also playing guitar. I can't remember who was playing drums. And then Steve Winwood was playing keys. So it's like this super group that was backing Clapton yeah. when he was trying to come back after trying to get sober again. Mm-hmm. And it's a powerful show. Um, and th- my favorite... Uh, song on that album is this uh, this version of Badge that they do, which is originally a Cream song. Cream, yeah. yeah. Um, which I learned that that was actually originally a uh, a George Harrison lick. That da 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 da. No way. Yeah, and he gave it to Clapton, and Clapton thought, uh, well, he had it written down as Bridge. George did, and mm-hmm. then Clapton. Saw it and thought it said badge. So that's how it <laughs> became badge. Random music. Not know that story. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I might be lying about that. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, 
it's so cool when you start diving into a lot of those blues players because they have such a big appreciation for what came before them. Mm-hmm. There's a real history to it. Yeah. That was um that was also kind of what got me into it cuz you can go back and back so many years and like it, when it comes down to it, it all started with the blues and jazz. That's mm-hmm. where everything started. Like every rock song you hear now has blues influence in it. Even even hair metal had was influenced by blues, especially yeah. Slash. Mm-hmm. You make that like you take away the distortion from that, and there's some there's some blues licks in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I never really knew too much about what the blues was growing up my my first like actual involvement with it is when i moved to nashville there's mm-hmm. this great place called pop attorneys have you ever heard of it before no i haven't so it's over have have you guys have you heard of pop attorneys i've heard of it but i've never been there so pop attorneys is out by percy priest lake um it's like uh oh wait is this the little like um is is it like on the lake it is i've been there you've been Actually, there yeah have I've you played been... there before no, I was I was trying to play, but uh, there are too many people in there. Yeah, so I would say if you go, go on Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. There is a phenomenal house band there called Three Be- Bean Soup. <laughs> um, and it's two guys from Louisiana, one guy from, uh, from North Carolina. So it's uh, Terry Goose Downing, Patio Daddio, and then Don Kendrick is, is mm-hmm. the drummer. But they play like a, a New Orleans style yeah. blues funk, which that's personally probably what my, my favorite style. I is. don't think I've heard that in Nashville yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, Patio Daddio, in my opinion, is the best bass player in Nashville. But it's very worth going out there to mm. go see them. Plus, they have amazing brisket. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a really um, a really cool place. Um, and just just thinking about the history of, of blues and all of that, it's had many, it's had a revitalization with players like John Mayer and Derek Trucks. Yeah, for sure. You know, especially over the past ten to twenty years, um, it's something that just never dies as a music. It's true American music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How do you feel about John Mayer? Are you a John Mayer fan? I've actually I've seen John Mayer twice at Bridgestone now. And he's great live. I've never once in my life listened to John Mayer just just for the hell of it. Really? Never. But I'll I'll always go and see him live when he's in town. Yeah, he's a great. He's incredible live. Mm-hmm. And his band is amazing too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean Steve Jordan, Pino Palladino, mm-hmm. they're incredible. I will say the one album you should give a try is "Try" by John Mayer Trio. <laughs> So it's that was like John Mayer uh, fixing his image, I guess, as a musician because he got kind of pigeonholed as just the guy who played your body as a wonderland, yeah. the <laughs> yeah. pop sensation, which that's that's a part of him. There's nothing wrong with that. That's mm-hmm. also valid as well. He does that well. But um, he was really trying to go back and change and show the fact that he was a real musician mm-hmm. And it's just him, Pino, and Steve, and it's nasty. It's really cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. So what do you got on the horizon right now? Um, well, Paul McDonald just announced um, One Big Love Fest, which will I think it's that's going to go throughout 
three months, I think. Um, so I'll, I'll be playing a lot there. It's at uh, Cletus, which is a not a big fan of that name. It's a burger joint kind of by Donaldson. That it, place just opened, right? Yeah, it, it's got, um, I think it'll be the next uh, next D's Lounge. It's, okay. It's cool. It'll be cool. Um, and I just got asked to play the Ryman with um, the Gaslight Anthem. Wow. Yeah, that'll be cool. Um, Very cool. Gosh, what else is coming up? And there's something. There's something in between those. Um, I don't know. Usually, usually I find out about things the day before. So yeah, <laughs> something else will pop up. What has been your experience being here? Do you don't have like a do you, do you have a consistent band that you play with? I don't. Not at the moment. Um, that's kind of that's kind of the end goal right now, actually. But it's kind of it's kind of hard to find people who want to like play with a 16 year old who can't even get into bars yet <laughs> that that's that's tricky finding the right people for that but sure. um everyone's been letting me sit in with them i'm super thankful for that i've gotten to play with like all these different kinds of people all different music genres and it's that's probably a better experience for me right now than playing with a band full-time i think well you're getting a full spectrum yeah of what music has to offer in nashville because mm-hmm. of it has it changed your playing at all oh yeah when i'm when i first moved out here i had like was very ignorant toward, like i moved out here and i heard bluegrass for the first time because i grew up just not exposed to any music like it wasn't it wasn't like a part of my life until i moved out here and was like surrounded by it 24 7 so it's definitely changed my playing in the way that like i'm a around it all the time and being around it makes you it makes you want to play so i've i don't think i've ever practiced more than when i've lived out here bluegrass in a lot of ways it's hillbilly jazz (laughs) a little bit it's very technical i i i could not sit in at a a bluegrass jam oh i i can't i've been in i've been in too many situations now where i there's like a they you know the little bluegrass circles they make. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I can't do that. Can't do that yet. Have you ever heard of uh of Spigma before? It's called Mm-mm. Spigma, right, Danny? Yep. I don't think so. So Spigma is well, actually can you describe it cuz I feel like you'll describe it better. Than yeah, me. absolutely. So they take the um they usually do it at the I believe it's the Sheraton right by the airport. Um, oh wait! Do you know the hotel? I've been to that before. <laughs> yeah, so it's they yeah. they basically rent out the first uh, three or four floors of the entire mm-hmm. Sheraton Sheraton hotel, and it's like you literally walk in, and it's pretty much exactly what you yeah, described. Yeah, I, I, I went to that. There's literally circles everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. yeah. It's and crazy. what's funny is right in like the main, um, like in the main atrium or whatever. There's a big sign that says "No jamming in the hallway," <laughs> but you walk in, there's like tons of people jamming yeah. like right next to that sign <laughs> yeah. it's like kind of a joke every year it's like someone gets a picture of them jamming like right next to the no jamming in the hallway sign yeah this past um one that just happened it was my first time going to it uh, that was the one i went to oh okay yeah. cool yeah and uh it was real it was interesting i it felt like you were walking into a movie well yeah and bluegrass is such a different like it's a whole nother thing compared to any other genre, because there's there's also a ton of heritage behind it. 
for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, I feel like it's more of a generational thing than any other type of music. Absolutely. I feel like with players like Billy Strings, it's finding mm-hmm. like a younger audience now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what's what's interesting to me about Bluegrass is that A, that er- heritage piece. Like I, I have mm-hmm. like Josh Norfleet from The Reveal. He, yeah. um, he grew up in a bluegrass family. Like their whole family is bluegrass musicians. <laughs> like his his cousin Tristan Norfleet, he's a mandolin player. But um but yeah, I mean they are nasty players. But sometimes I'll be playing with them. They I love them to death. Don't get me wrong. But they can be very frustrating to play with cuz sometimes they'll t- they will tell me the the wrong like the wrong chords, whatever. And then Josh will apologize after and he says, sorry, I'm just a dumb hillbilly. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll use Nashville numbers at best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're lucky. But their ability as musicians is phenomenal. They're great players. But Josh, I feel it's the same way with blues, I feel like in a lot of ways too. Um, with bluegrass, there's a lot of players who are very traditional yeah. about what the blues is and what bluegrass is for sure uh because i've been told by them that they were saying like if you have drums not bluegrass <laughs> if you have an electric bass not bluegrass not allowed um and then with blues players like playing out of the jams it was funny i kind of experienced that to a to a certain degree because it's like I play with a pick sometimes, so yeah. like in a blues, that's like a no-no, you know, as a bass player. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but what are rules if they cannot be broken? Why are they there? They're there to be broken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, what blues player really were you drawn to, you felt like, was your, your gateway in a lot of ways? Um, probably Freddie King. Because okay. it's just his um, his phrasing. If you analyze it, it's like there's nothing super technical about it, but it was the way that he played each note. Like he played each note. He meant to play each note. Like it's it's hard to describe. And he also he used um finger picks a lot, which gave him the super unique tone that you don't really. If if you listen to him. You can close your eyes and you can tell it's Freddie King playing. Like he has that specific kind of tone to him. Mm-hmm. And um, players like uh, Leslie West is one of my favorite guitar players. He took a lot of inspiration from him, and you can hear it in his playing with the super simple like he let he lets his phrases breathe when he plays, and I really like that about him. Freddie King. He is the one who plays um, Going Down. Is that yeah, him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Texas Blues, it smells like diesel. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. it's, it smells like an oil field. <laughs> They're just pumping the, pumping the ground, getting it out of there. Um, yeah. I don't know too much Freddie King. I know the album that Going Down is on, and I know he has like an instrumental album too, right? It's called like Texas Cannonball or something like that. Yeah. I forget. I forgot what it's called, actually. Yeah. There's something like that. Yeah, but it's interesting because he seems like he's someone who had like a lot of phases over his career just mm-hmm. because of how the times changed. Yeah. Pretty crazy. 
him and um I mean just the period he lived through like the blues changed like because if you listen to like really old like delta blues it's all like these guys who have a guitar with like two strings and they taught themselves yeah and um super duper authentic but then it like turned electric and it kind of changed the game i think they lived through that yeah to see it happen yeah well i guess the way that uh muddy waters they were there was someone who was um like going around and documenting i don't know this exact story um but there was someone who was going around documenting recording interviews with people Mm -hmm. And um, it was the first time he heard himself sing. And yeah. he said, wow, I'm pretty good. And then eventually, you know, he moved to Chicago and all of that mm-hmm. and went to Chess Records. But, yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Um, have you ever seen the the movie Cadillac Records? I haven't. Okay. So this movie probably came out a long time ago. I'll just say that. <laughs> uh, but it stars Adrian Brody. He plays Leonard Chess. I think that's his name in the movie. But it's about the founding of, of Chess Records. Mm-hmm. So it has, like, Beyonce plays Etta James, uh, Muddy Waters. I don't, I can't remember the, the actor who plays Muddy Waters in the movie, but Howlin' Wolf's in the movie. Chuck Berry is in the movie. Adrian Brody. Adrian, yeah, Adrian Brody. Is yeah. who stars, yeah. Yeah, as as Leonard Chess. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I'm surprised. I was it able came, to pull that. It came out in 2008. <laughs> yeah, 2008. All right. Yeah, um, but it's it's worth the watch. It's it's a pretty cool story, um, just because it's so crazy. You know, you have all these different people move to Chicago because I think Howlin' Wolf was originally from Arkansas. Maybe I know he was first on Sun Records. That was where his first mm-hmm. single came out at, I believe, or was early in his career. But I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. just I'm just spitballing here. Um, <laughs> When did you discover Led Zeppelin? Oh, Led Zeppelin was always... I, I think Whole Lot Love was probably one of the first songs I ever learned. Led Zeppelin's always been there for me. Mm-hmm. What is it about them that you love? I, you can you can recognize even just John Bonham's drumming. Within like the first couple of seconds, you, you know it's Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And... um. Jimmy Page was a great writer too. Like things like um, the Rain song, mm-hmm. playing it. It's like how on earth did he, how did he think of to do that? And um, it's I think it's kind of genius, really. It's it, it's something that can't be reproduced. It was like that for will never happen ever again. No, no. I I mean it goes back to the conversation that we were kind of having before this about. Uh, Outliers, the book by Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell. It, it's these perfect storm events happening in the universe, whatever you want to call it, God. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But putting those four players together, it it's like John Paul Jones, him as a bass player, firstly, yes, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably the greatest rock bass player of all time, in my opinion. Um but uh, he's also an expert arranger, and he yeah. can play multiple instruments. And then Robert Plant, just with his uh, his swagger, his voice, it's so distinct. Yeah. There's no one else who sounds like him. 
I agree. Yeah, it's uh, what's your favorite Zeppelin album? Album? Yeah. Oh gosh. Physical graffiti. Interesting. Interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that. What is it? What are your top three from that album? Oh gosh, you're making me think now. Um, the Rover. Okay. I think it's called um Black Country Woman. Okay. Is it is that the name of the song? I think so. I'm I'm like ninety nine percent sure. On Which that. one? Uh, Black Country Woman. Yeah. Uh, that is a song. What you said that's on physical graffiti. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it is. I, I and um, check. trampled underfoot is a good one too. Oh yeah, love that one. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I think my favorite on that album is the song "Houses of the Holy." That's a good one. Yeah. Did you yeah. guys know that Roger Daltrey actually turned down the opportunity to be in Led Zeppelin? No way. Really? He, he was the original choice for Led Zeppelin. He turned it down and then recommended, I think, I think Robert Plant was like 17 at the time or something like that. <laughs> but Roger Daltrey was like, no, this isn't for me. Or, you know, I'm ad looting, of course. But um, he basically turned down the opportunity to play in Led Zeppelin and then recommended Robert Plant. Was he in The Who yet? Or was that pre pre the? Hit? I believe he was. I'm not exactly sure, um, but I I do remember that being a thing. Wow, that's nutty. Yeah, I, I had a pretty big phase when I first started playing, where I got into the Who. They were probably my first, besides the Beatles, first favorite classic rock bands. Mm -hmm. It was like the Beatles got me into the songwriting and all that good stuff, but. As players, for me, it was uh, it was the Who just because of John Entwistle's bass playing. Yeah, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before, and I had this uh, this vinyl record of Live at Leeds, mm -hmm. and the way it's mixed, it's like guitar is panned all the way one side, bass is panned all the way to the other side, so I could turn down the guitar and just listen to the bass and try and mimic mm -hmm. the bass parts. Oh, you know what? I actually had it wrong. Sorry. Uh, Robert Plant almost joined the Who. I had it. I had Backwards. it wrong. Yeah, that was my mistake. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> We're not too technical on the Poptimus. I think we can all be glad that that didn't happen. Yeah. That would have been weird. That would have been weird. I don't think that would have worked out. No. No. <laughs> no. I feel like the thing about Roger Daltrey and the Who is that there's this zaniness that he brings to the the heaviness of some of uh, Pete Townsend's yeah. songs and his lyrics. Because his voice, like Pete's voice is not angry. He kind of has a soft singing voice, mm -hmm. which he's, I like his singing voice. Um, but it's just different. There was, there was a funny video that came out. I don't know if anybody else will think this is funny. But it was <laughs> um, The Who playing live. Danny, did you see this where... Roger Daltrey was yelling at the people in the audience for smoking weed. No. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of funny. He says he's allergic, but no judgment. <laughs> no judgment to Roger Daltrey. He's a, he's a rock legend. Um, what is something that you still want to try musically that you haven't gotten to do yet? Um, you know, I had um, I took banjo lessons for three weeks. And now there's a banjo sitting in my room that's been unplayed for like months now. <laughs> and um I'd like to get back into that. Okay. It's kind of random. 
become a, a bluegrass uh, bluegrass picker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen. But uh, wouldn't it be cool if I could just whip out a banjo and start playing it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you could get uh, a double neck uh, part banjo, part guitar, and start shredding <laughs> between the two. Is that a thing? Does that exist? I don't know. You it can should. make it. Yeah, you can make it. <laughs> I, I saw the other day a double neck guitar that was a uh, ukulele and a mandolin. That's weird. It was both. Yeah. Huh. It was like small, obviously, but it was, I think the bottom was the uke and then the top was the mandolin i might have it backwards but i wonder if it was like a, a normal uke because they have those bass ukes too yeah yeah i've seen those but yeah this was like a custom made like mandolin uh ukulele double neck it was interesting yeah saw it on the internet <laughs> it the the greatest thing about the internet and it was just starting kind of when me and danny were growing up um, but, uh, the access, the sheer access that you have now, all of us have to hearing players talk about playing is incredible. Yeah. Like you can pull up an interview with Jimmy Page where he's talking about 1973, what his strategy <laughs> was playing guitar live or just give throwing out something random like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it was like you said, you discovered kind of hair metal and that got you into to music from, you said YouTube? From YouTube, yeah. Yeah. I don't think, um, I'm glad it happened that way. But it's kind of it's kind of weird that I just had like free reign on YouTube when I was like eight years old. Yeah, well, I mean, so much of the, the digital stuff that's going on today, it was like... I think most people, most most parents, they don't really think about it, you mm -mm. know, because it's such a brand new thing. It's this new technology. Like I saw, there's this one meme of this guy where he uh, he had like a, a Walkman, a TV, a radio, um, all sorts of stuff, a computer. And this thing is like all in your pocket now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've seen that. I've seen an altered meme of that too, where. The guy had a hat on that said FBI, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, we, we have the entire recorded history of, of music in our yeah. pockets now. It's crazy. Yeah. What do you think for like people around your age? Do you like you got into into rock music at a really mm -hmm. young age? Do you think that there are other kids like out there? that have discovered not have discovered it as well but what i'm saying is you're very unique in the way that you were drawn to this and became a great player early on you know so like i don't know what i'm trying to say danny but it's along the lines <laughs> of rock music is not popular with the kids these days yeah, you're yeah. you're a rarity <laughs> yeah i guess uh i don't know i would kind of want to know like um to i guess kind of bouncing off of what you're trying to say is do you like what do you what are your thoughts about um like do you do you think that you're like the only one do you do you want more people your age to play rock or do you kind of like that you're standing out from like the normal trends of uh i guess I, it's fair to call you a gen z right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um well I'm, I'm definitely not the only one i think rock's actually making a bit of a comeback right now 
Or maybe that's just me scrolling through TikTok, <laughs> seeing all these people in bell bottoms all of a sudden. The algorithms. <laughs> it's weird. Mm. But um, there's definitely, I used to be really stuck up about this when I was in like, probably when I was in middle school. I was actually stuck up about everything in middle school. But specifically music, I was like, because not, not everyone, but a lot of kids were listening to like rap and pop. And um, now I don't I don't care what other people want to listen to. But um, back then I'd be a huge dick about it. I was like, I was just really, really annoying about it. You've, you've probably met people like me in middle school. Well, we were we were all you in middle school. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but um, it's a phase. You grow out of yeah. it. Thank God I grew out of it because I was <laughs> really annoying about it. <laughs> but um, I, I do wish it was rock or just any of those subgenres are more popular than they were. Maybe not more popular, maybe more appreciated is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely not dead. I'm definitely not the only one my age who is really into it right now. Yeah, well, it's, you look at bands like Greta Van Fleet, they're yeah. huge right now. Yeah. And they're, you know, say what you will about them. They're, they're <laughs> a divisive band in a lot of ways. True. But they're great players. They write they're great, great songs. They're great people too. Yeah, they're all they're all great. Yeah, yeah. They can they can shred. They can play. And um, I mean, they're huge right now, and they just keep growing. It's like yeah. every album they get a little bit bigger, which is it's nice to nice to see rock music doing well. And of course, there are other artists uh, that I feel like are huge. You know, you look at you look at someone like uh, the Black Keys mm-hmm. or. Even Arctic Monkeys, they're a little bit weirder and artier now. They're not really necessarily <laughs> like a, a rock band per yeah. se anymore. They they still are, but they're they're in their like Bowie phase of their career. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, I think uh, people always want to proclaim that rock music is dead, and I never think that it is. It just goes through cycles and changes. Where sometimes it's more popular, sometimes it's yeah, not. Exactly. I always get um it, it really annoys me when I I get a bunch of um a bunch of old guys come up to me like after a show or something and they're like freaking out cuz I'm playing all this music and they're like rock is dead like there's no no new bands out anymore and I'm like you just don't want to listen to it. Yeah. Like those are the guys who hate on Greta Van Fleet for sounding like Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And that that's always pissed me off. But um People just need to be more open towards it, especially the older generation, I think, because they're the ones who are shutting down all these newer bands saying that they're like ripping Back off. Back in my day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a horrible attitude to have towards it. And especially in Nashville, there's all these bands down here that are making really great, authentic rock and blues or whatever genre it is. And um, they'd be bigger if people were more open towards it, I feel like. Yeah, I think there's always going to be in every genre, in every aspect, if you put 10 musicians in a room together, eight of them are going to have some kind of comment about hating whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Or they're going (laughs) to not have a comment about hating it, but they're going to have a critique to offer. Yeah. For sure. But um, that just kind of comes with the territory, you know? Yeah, musicians are a lot like... uh like school kids yeah <laughs> they can honestly not, yeah no offense of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think part of the reason that i got into music in the first place 
was I never really wanted to have to uh, to grow up. In some <laughs> ways, there's like a, a part of me that I'm holding on to forever that's always going to be the me sitting on the end of my bed in my bedroom in my parents' house trying to learn how to play a new song or something like that. <laughs> like Spiritually, I'm there. I think if... <laughs> and I'm getting back there, like with kind of what I was talking about before with the experience of playing on Broadway yeah. and learning all of these songs that I, I learned, you know, once upon a time, but it, it has been years since I've played them. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of feel like I've refound myself in a lot of ways. <laughs> I've also been reading comic books and building Legos, which I haven't done in a very long time <laughs> either. So have you gotten into Jerry Garcia at all yet? I have actually I just played um a Grateful Dead tribute on four twenty. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Of all the days, right? <laughs> <laughs> um what songs did you play? We played um Shakedown Street and um Railroad Blues. And there's a third one that I'm forgetting about right now, but um Jeff Coffin came and sat in for Shakedown Street and we jammed on it for like 20 minutes and it was amazing. Yeah. Well, that's what the Grateful Dead is for. Mm-hmm. There's um, a really great uh, live uh, thing that the, the Dead released. It's of this legendary show that they did at Cornell University. I think it was maybe... Mm-hmm. In the early to mid seventies, I don't know if Pigpen was still in the band or not, but if you ever get a chance, check it out. There's a, an a, incredible version of Scarlet Begonias into Fire on the Mountain, um, and it's like a seamless, like they're just weaving into it. It's incredible. You know they do a, a really good version with Pigpen of Hard to Handle as well. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that's originally a, an Otis Redding song, right? Yeah, it's Otis Redding. Yeah. Yeah, what I love too, um, like with blues and soul and funk, there's like all these standards that you, you yeah. go out and play. It's kind of the same way with bluegrass as well. Definitely. Um, I don't know what any of those are, but. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's like hard to handle. I feel like if you go to a, a blues jam, you're bound to hear it. You're bound to hear Something by Clapton, probably cocaine, (laughs) more than likely. Um, But yeah, like, is it? What is your favorite lick of all time? My favorite lick. Yeah. Man, I can't. I can't give that one away. Okay. (laughs) I have one that's like um, for an for an E, kind of out of tune, but um, I'll usually use that to like at the end of a song. It's good to end it. Okay. Well, and what is that? Just like a pentatonic run? Um, You're talking to a bass player here, so you have to you have to uh, dumb it down for me. I guess it would be, or like majors. I, okay. I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, you're talking to a bass player. So. <laughs> what about you, Danny? You're more of a guitar player than I am. Um, man. I, I don't know if I could even – I mean, I like to do bends, I guess, uh, when I'm playing, like, blues and stuff like that. But I, I don't know if I have, like, a go-to lick. It's probably some sort of, like, walk down kind of. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm out of practice. <laughs> but I do love the blues. That, yeah. That's one of my go-to, like, genres to play for sure. Well, it's great, too, because you can play – 
with any player at any level for the Blues. Because yeah. they just have to know three chords. Exactly. Or one <laughs> chord, you know, depending on what, what the standard is. That's or the what beauty the song of it, is. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about the um, the emotion. Yeah. That you bring to it. Because I think with guitar players, it's really like, um, you know, the width of a, of a paintbrush. I think the mm-hmm. way... You, hands get laid on an, an instrument same thing with with everybody else too and that's what makes the flavor and you have like uniqueness for music but mm-hmm. um to me i think it's it's the sound of uh the divine the thing we can't explain yeah it's a feeling do you write your own songs or mm-hmm. okay yeah i've been i've been writing with a lot of people um Hopefully one of these days we'll get something recorded, but it's just been writing stuff for right now. Yeah. Nice. Like when you're writing, what is your um, process? Do you just kind of go from, you know, like when you're inspired or do you sit down to try and write? Um, well, I try to sit down, like put time aside to sit down and like make myself write. But um, it doesn't always work out. But usually I'll start with, like, it's either a riff or, like, a couple chords that I think sound nice together. And then I'll throw a melody on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if I'm doing, like, um, I write with lots of other people, so everyone has a different process. So if I'm doing it with someone else, like, we'll prob- like it'll differ every time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's, it, it's really a muscle, too. And you have to develop that muscle a little bit, a little bit on your own. But the way I really learned how, how to write for like myself was learning from my bu- my good buddy, Kurt Riley. I was mm-hmm. in this band with him when I was in Florida when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And before that, I never really had written songs, but I was always interested in it. And I got one Christmas, um, like a couple years after, this was probably like a year or two after, I got an, I got an iPad iPad mini and I had GarageBand and I had a interface that I could plug into it and I would send him all of my songs and I would get feedback from him and he would just tell me hey this is great or he's like this is not good (laughs) this is not good at all but um it's always very useful to have those people that you can bounce those ideas off of Um, but co-writing can be kind of tricky as well it can be It it depends on Depends on who you're doing it with. Yeah. The vibe and the chemistry. And yeah. All that. For sure. Yeah. Um, where do you rank Angus Young in your favorite guitar players? Oh, gosh. Well, I was just on um, Today in Nashville, and she was asking me about... Oh, crap. I forgot I forgot the question the lady asked me, but um, I was talking about how TNT was the first song I ever learned on really? guitar. Really? Yeah, because this guy, my first teacher was in a church and um, super religious, and I would ask him to teach me all these ACDC songs, and he would he would tell me no. So I would learn it by ear, and that TNT was the first one. Can you play a little bit of TNT for us? Do you remember how to play it? What's your that's favorite? That's how it goes, right? Yeah, that's how it <laughs> yeah. goes. Um, what's your favorite Jimmy Page riff? 
Hell yeah. Great one. I, I'd play the rain song or something, but I'd send a weird tuning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which one was that? How many more times? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they did that at... Um, Zeppelin Night. At yeah. Zeppelin Night. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. What about... Who were some of your other favorite uh, favorite players? You um, mentioned Slash. Slash. Um, my top are Mark Bolin and Leslie West. Okay, Mark Bolin, so you're a T-Rex fan. Yeah, big time. Interesting. <laughs> what is it about T-Rex that you like? Um, well, because Mark Bolin was not a great guitar player, like, whatsoever. But he writes, like, he just had such an attitude to him, especially if you watch him live or, like, in interviews. Like, there, there's just something about him that he didn't, he didn't need to be a good guitar player because he got his message across anyways. Well, he has a lot of swagger. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever gotten into like any punk stuff or listened to any of that? A bit, not not super deep, but a little bit. Um, have you listened to the Stooges before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the same deal with them, you know, or even um, the Ramones. Oh yeah. You know, like Johnny Johnny Ramone, he's. Not a great guitar player by any stretch of the imagination. They didn't, they didn't have to be. No. But what they did was very unique, mm-hmm. you know, by, like doing the downstroke thing. It's, they didn't really know how to play. Yeah, exactly. So they were exactly. playing the way that they were able to. And I think that's kind of what the, the beauty of all mm-hmm. the punk stuff was. I had a big punk phase, classic <laughs> punk phase. Have you listened to The Misfits before? I have. You know what? I'm not a fan of the Misfits. Okay, yeah. Let, let's hear it. Why are you not a fan of the Misfits? I don't know. I just they sound too harsh. Okay, maybe like, maybe may, it's got to be an acquired taste or something. <laughs> too harsh in the way of the recordings or the way that they're playing. Both. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> hey, I get it. It's not for everybody. Different strokes for different folks. <laughs> Who do you think the most unique guitar player is that you've ever heard? Unique. That's a hard question. Um, shit, I don't know. Would you like me to share my answer first? Yeah. Maybe you can bounce off <laughs> yeah. that. Um, I would say Jeff Beck. He's de- that's a good answer. Mm-hmm. Like, I would say Jeff... I, if Jimi Hendrix were still alive... He and Jeff Beck would have did an album together in the 80s, undoubtedly in my mind. Well, didn't he play with Hendrix? I don't or, know. Did he? Wait, wait, I thought, how how did Jeff Beck, what was his start? So Jeff Beck, he played with, uh, I think he started with Rod Stewart and the mm-hmm. Small Faces, maybe? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's where he started, but I'm I don't not know. sure. Luckily, Danny has his handy-dandy <laughs> supercomputer right in his hand, so he's able to look it up for us. Jeff Beck. I've seen Jeff Beck, too, um, before he died, of course. Uh, I've seen him twice. I've seen him uh, at Municipal Auditorium, and then I saw him one time at the Hollywood Bowl. Oh, Um, nice. Very cool. uh, He was with... uh, Who was he with? No. Wow, I can't remember. It was a while ago. I do remember Jeff Beck played, and... um, Wow, it's off the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember. Oh wait, who does uh, Lagrange? 
ZZ Top. ZZ Top. Yeah. yeah, it was with ZZ Top. Oh, cool. <laughs> That's what it was at Hollywood Bowl. And then the second time I saw him was actually, I think it was with, we were talking, um, I mentioned uh, like Free and Bad Company earlier. Yeah. It's, um, he, was, he played like with them and then... Um, Ann Wilson from uh, Heart was there too. Nice. It was like one of those big shows. But yeah, Jeff Beck, he definitely puts on a unique show and he's a very interesting, like a very good guitar player. But um, let's see. Dang, there's so much stuff. Jeff Beck, here we go. Uh, oh, he, okay. So he started as a prominent member of the Yardbirds. So. Oh, oh, that's right. Course, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Get, get, get in line, Jimmy Page. <laughs> and uh, who was the other one? We were talking, uh, Eric Clapton. Yeah. All of them were in the Yardbirds. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just incredible to me that that much, like such a big piece of like what we're all influenced by today came from this one area mm -hmm. which it came from one area from them they would say the same thing about all the blues players that yeah. were from the u.s like muddy waters or mm -hmm. any of those guys um it's it's just crazy to me you know they grew they grew up in a, a bombed out london mm -hmm. like a post-world war ii london i imagine it was a very drab depressing place and probably in a lot of ways that music was the uh the escape for them i'm sure they're painting pictures in their mind of like the, the way i see it you know maybe i'm being fantastical about it but they're imagining america when they're playing this music and like coming to visit mm -hmm. and experiencing what it's like and just being able to hear it and then seeing see it in the movies um which it's so funny like today it's just like it's similar i, I imagine in a certain way today like I, I really romanticize like japan sometimes i mm -hmm. look up what japan is like and how they love music and th their culture there is they love like jazz and blues and funk and rock and all these different kinds of things and um it's just it's inspiring to see like people that actually want it because rock music of course it like we were talking about earlier it goes through phases and cycles but it seems like other places in the world it is still gigantic yeah like arctic monkeys I, I always use them as an example but they were they were playing soccer stadiums like a decade plus ago in brazil and other places like that and really when am came out is when they finally blew blew up in mm -hmm. america it was like what people and i say this in air quotes i love arctic monkeys and i don't feel this way but their sellout album you know what i mean because it had like the hip-hop influence yeah. in production which i really enjoy mm -hmm. i enjoy that but yeah um okay can you give us another another one of those first songs that you learned you were doing tnt what else were you doing <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> guitar center on a saturday <laughs> afternoon no but um actually another one was um was wipeout by um the safaris is it the safaris no i actually i'm blanking i was a surf rock band yeah it might have been I, actually i have i can't remember it yeah was, I, I don't even know if i remember how to play it it was like something like that and it was really really hard for me to play that too at the time mm -hmm. 
Have you gone deep into surf rock, or was that just kind of... I, I haven't. I don't know what the deal was with that song, because this was, again, from the guy who went and teach me ACDC, mm-hmm. taught me that song. And then, um, I don't know, that was a random one. I've never really gotten too into surf rock. It is cool, though. I respect it. Yeah, I've, I had a pretty big surf rock phase, um, because I got super into to Quentin Tarantino when I was in high mm. school. And uh, like the half the soundtrack for Pulp Fiction is all surf rock tunes. So it made me just kind of do this deep dive into all these weirder songs and artists that were Mm -hmm. out there. Um, But yeah, there's there's a great band that I, uh, a guitar player from a great band that I've had on recently. It was uh, Shermie from this band called uh, The Surfragettes. Oh, it's, yeah. it's an all-girl band. Yeah, Have you heard of them I've, before? I've seen them before. Yeah, um, and they're they're really cool. They're great players, mm-hmm. monster players. They do a really cool cover of uh, of Toxic by Britney Spears. I don't think I've heard that yet. Yeah, it's cool. It's interesting. Yeah, look it up. Yeah. It's fun. Hey, not to backtrack too much, but I, rem- I just found the relevance of... Because I knew there was a connection between Hendrix and Jeff Beck. It is said that Jeff Beck was at Jimi Hendrix's first show in London. Oh yeah, damn. Um, that he that Hendrix ever played in London, and that he immediately felt like he was no longer a good guitar player after watching <laughs> oh, wow. Hendrix play. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Also, I don't know if you guys know this, but probably not the same night. Maybe I thought that I remembered it being the same night, but don't take this with a, this part with a grain of salt, or that part with a grain of salt. But um, I do know that the first night Clapton saw Hendrix. The very next day was when mm-hmm. he wrote the riff for Sunshine of Your Love. Oh, really? It Makes was, sense. yeah, yeah. So he, it, it <laughs> totally. was, yeah, that riff was completely inspired by watching a Jimmy. song I learned. Yeah, yes. yeah. same, one of my first <laughs> yeah. two. Yeah, but it was, that riff is literally, like, inspired from Eric Clapton watching Jimi Hendrix. Nice. Um, where can people find you at? Um, Instagram, TikTok, oh gosh, uh, Reddit. Uh, I'm currently signed out of my YouTube and can't sign back into it. Oh, no. Yeah, it's been that way for a few months. But um, I'm on YouTube. It's not active anymore. And um, that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Grace, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, guys. Of course. Uh, Keep on dreaming. I'll see you next week.